0: A quick warning, this episode contains conversations about substance misuse in disordered eating.
1: I got labeled pretty quickly as a social one, but what finally got me sober was going to therapy. I drank because it was there. Not only was I judging someone else's experience, I should have been looking at myself.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Carmen speaking. How are you guys doing? I'm here with Nadine. She'll be our guest this week. And we're going to get into all the tea. Thank you, Nadine, for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me, Carmen. I really appreciate it. And I love the work that you're doing with Generation SOS. I am the founder of an organization called The Sober Butterfly, which is a sober lifestyle resource. Um, I also have a podcast and I live in New York City. I'm 31 years old and I'll talk about a little bit later how... My life shifted at the big 3-0, and I got sober. But yeah, that's a big, just like a quick rundown. I've been sober for a year and a half. My soberversary date is July 5th, 2021. So right after July 4th, that was a wild weekend that I'll get into later. But yeah.
0: So what were your drug or drugs of choice? My
1: number one was definitely alcohol. And I do consider alcohol to be a drug and not just a drug. A lethal drug. I first drank and also got drunk at the age of 13. I really want to emphasize the idea that for me, alcohol was definitely my drug of choice. I dabbled in other things, but alcohol use disorder is a spectrum. And so the idea, I'm sorry, the I think the idea of the sober butterfly came to me from my college um, background because I got labeled pretty quickly as a social butterfly. And so alcohol gave me a sense of freedom that I had never experienced up until that time. So growing up, I was just, I had this epiphany literally today. I was like, I was such a reserved, quiet, introverted child. Um, I was extremely anxious to speak to people that I didn't know. I grew up as an only child. And so when I first started drinking, I think the level of freedom that I felt was this idea that I could be uninhibited and I could socialize and I could be this outgoing, witty, charming, funny, um, just elevated version of self when I was in a drunken state because I never drank just to drink. It was always to have the effect, the physical, emotional effects of alcohol. So when I was being in this state of inebriation, I would also then be willing to experiment with other things and put myself in even further compromising Mm -hmm. situations. I went from being a moderate drinker, underage drinker, to at the age of 18, taking it to another level. Um, And then something really unexpected and traumatic happened my sophomore year of college when my father passed away. And I don't even fully know how I picked myself up, but that dark place for me was me consuming more and more. Uh, mainly drinking more and more, but also experimenting more with the drugs. There was a switch for me. It was no longer, oh Nadine, this is fun. Nadine is crying, destroying the bathrooms. <laughs> um, you know, picking fights with people, being more of an aggressor. And so, obviously, the drinking was masking this deep deep pain that I had from the loss of my father. I think another thing that is worth mentioning because I knew your show was also about mental health. And so at the time of my father's death, I started to restrict food, um, drunkorexia. So where you restrict food essentially all day and then you drink your calories. So I would basically eat very minimally throughout the day. I would overexercise. And then I would get drunk super quickly because I had basically nothing in my system.
0: I've never heard that before. So thank you for for mentioning that. So we're at 19, father passes away. Where does it go from there? Uh, So
1: I made it to graduation. And then post-graduation, I moved to New York.
0: Nadine, it seems like you got some crazy stories for us. Do you care to share any of those?
1: Girl, oh, um um there I'll just cite a a few I've been involved in a car chase where literally I had to like flee my car because I hit someone else's car and they called the police rightfully so and I was drinking and driving and I abandoned my car completely and somehow didn't get caught um I mean I got a couple tickets but like got away with that situation so didn't fully learn my lesson there one of the scariest moments was it was Father's Day this would have been maybe 15 or 16. And I went out by myself like an idiot. All of a sudden, uh, oh crap, I need to go home. Room is kind of spinning. So I leave the club. And as I'm leaving, I'm about to descend the subway, the stairs to the subway, which wouldn't be a good recommendation either because at this hour, it's, it's, well, it's probably around like 2 a.m. And I'm drunk and it's just like not safe by myself. But I'm like about to get go down the stairs. And all of a sudden this car pulls up and I thought I had recognized him from inside the club. And so I was just like, Oh, Hey, uh, he was like trying to talk to me. So I'm like, Oh, Hey, uh, can you drive me home to a strange guy? Right. I get in the back. I remember I got in the back of his car, the back, like (laughs) he's not a taxi driver, but okay. And then I passed out. And the next thing I knew when I woke up, I'm at a gas station Looking outside the window, the sun is rising. So there's all this unaccounted time. um, But there's this girl in the front seat, and she starts yelling at me. And she's like, Oh, by the way, this girl was not there when I got in the car. So she's like, Oh, my brother took you home. You need to pay for gas, like screaming at me. And I'm like, What's going on? (laughs) What are you talking about? So I'm fumbling, looking for my stuff. I realized my phone is missing. I had my phone when I got in the car. So now I realize that they've stolen my phone. Fast forward, I end up getting jumped um, because I get aggressive because I'm scared. And also I'm like, you stole my phone. And the girl get goes crazy and she jumps me. Literally, now we're outside the car and she half my size jumps me. She gets on top of me. And I I just remember vividly not caring at that moment. That's how broken I was. I was just like hit screaming at her. I was like, hit me. Cause she has me like restrained. And I'm like, hit me. I was like, fucking hit me, like screaming at her. And then she looks at me and she just said something like, basically, she could tell how like gone I was. And she's just like, no, nah, I'm not going to hit you. Long story short, they ended up, ended up somehow in that scuffle, also stealing money, like stealing my cards. And like, it was a mess. So there, there have been many low points. I say all that to say, I should have learned from many instances, but what finally got me sober was going to therapy. I think addiction is mental health, basically chipping at the symptoms. Like, if you don't get in touch with the root causes of what's driving those behaviors and that need, um, then you will constantly be stuck in a cycle of unfortunately being a slave to a substance. And I also recognize that I'd been in therapy for several months, and my therapist kept asking the same question every week. What is your relationship like with alcohol? And she would ask me that question because when I would share my week, (laughs) there was always something related to drinking. A story was always connected to, oh, I went out or, oh, I was here with this person and we were doing this. At that time, maybe I would not have heard the message that I need to get help. I think she did it in a way that was low touch enough but consistent enough that I could no longer deny what was clearly, you know, staring at me in the face. My July 4th uh-huh. was crazy. I had gone, I pre-planned a trip with a friend to go to Atlantic City of all places. I went like three weeks without drinking with my therapist because at that point I was trying to moderate in therapy, like going out, telling myself I would only have two, three drinks, of course failing, and then reporting back to her. And then finally she was like, maybe take a break altogether. Like let's just see how you feel. And so I went three weeks. I felt great. But then oh crap, I had this trip to Atlantic City before I even like fully unpack my stuff at the hotel, which is also above a casino. I'm drinking, I'm using, and it was just like this drug-fueled crazy weekend. And what really stopped me, the drug-fueled part was cocaine. And what stopped me was we go to a different casino and I asked someone to bum a cigarette, like this group of women were standing outside of that casino. And when the woman kindly went to give me a cigarette, I saw on her arm, she had track marks going up and down her arm. And so I said, thank you to her. But then I turned to my friend when she was out of earshot. And I was like, oh, so sad. Like, she has track marks. Like I feel so bad for her. And my friend said something like, I don't think she realized how much impact this has on me, but she was just like, yeah, well, you know, it's like a matter of convenience. It's like a drug of convenience. And I was just like, Oh, I don't understand what that means. And she was just like, well, you know, you, you and I, we grew up in similar settings, like similar backgrounds, you know, suburbs, kids, things like that. Like what was available to us is what we did, right? So it was a matter of convenience. I drank because it was there. Had heroin been on the table, probably would have done that, right? So that just put things into perspective for me. And I was like, oh, crap. It's me. Like I am the problem. (laughs) I am the person that is using anything. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Like it's just a matter of convenience and accessibility. And so that really put things into perspective because not only was I judging someone else's experience, I should have been looking at myself and I started to look at myself after
0: that. That based on convenience and accessibility. I mean, it's true. Just like me doing cocaine, like with my
1: rich, you know, affluent
0: friends in in New York,
1: like, okay, if we were in a different part of the world, right? We wouldn't be doing cocaine. We'd be doing crack. Okay. Let's just be honest. And it, it it actually comes from, we know the same drug. So it's just like these stereotypes, all of these, even the stigmas that exist behind the word addiction or alcoholism, or all these all of these labels are really driving people away from getting the help that they need because it's like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be labeled this type of person, because this type of person looks like this and I look like that. So one of the most divisive ways that you can keep someone sick.
0: Earlier, you said that you made drinking your identity. How did you rediscover your identity now that you're sober? And how are you rediscovering those parts of yourself that are no longer you? What does that process look like?
1: Yeah, that's really beautiful. That's a good point because I'm still in this process of rediscovering who I am, if I'm being honest. I went through a period of depression after I quit drinking because I deemed alcohol at the time as a loss, not a gain, not the sense of sobriety this new lifestyle I was gaining. I was more so mo- mourning the loss of my like ex-toxic lover. <laughs> That's how it felt. I was trying to still live as this version of self that no longer existed or it still existed, but like, I didn't want to give that person feed that energy. But I have this idea for, in fact, my therapist kind of gave me the idea because I was going on this um, trip. So I was going to like four different countries in like six weeks. And she was like, why don't you document your experiences as a sober person, you know, traveling? Cause I'd never done that before. And um, so I was like, yeah, good idea. So then I was just trying to brainstorm names um, for my blog It was going to be like a personal blog and the Sober Butterfly just came to me. I was like, okay, I'm still going to be social because once again, trying to prove to myself I'm the same version of self. So I was like, I'm going to be social and I love butterflies. So the Sober Butterfly. And so I did a great job of documenting what it was like to travel sober. Um, and I think getting out of my routine was helpful for me um, because no, I was no longer going to these places that didn't serve me. And I was no longer surrounding myself with people who were, there was a mix of people who were not supportive. And I don't think it's intentional. I had a lot of resentments built up towards certain individuals who I felt should have been more supportive. But at the same time, I can't fault people who don't know better. And I think getting in connection with other sober people, everything took off from there. That's when I felt like, okay, this is not a phase, this is not an experiment where I'm just like, how do I feel? This is me optimizing my my life and regaining a sense of true control.
0: Personal values come from a person's deep intentions about how they want to live their lives. They influence behaviors, thoughts, feelings, choices, etc. How have your values shifted now that you're sober?
1: Now, I think the biggest core value that I've seen change for me is honesty. I think so much of my addiction and so much of my sickness was me not being honest with other people, but more importantly, me not being honest with myself. Control is also something that's been big in my life, like me trying to control situations when I felt like I didn't have control. I I don't want to put other people's story on blast. It's connected to mine, but let's just say in my family, addiction is also big And I was for so many years tormented by trying to control other people and their relationship to alcohol. Um, When, Carmen, I should have just been looking at myself. I should have just been looking at myself because here I am trying to control other people and their drinking. And the irony is when I got sober, the person that I was most concerned about drinking also got sober. So it's this idea that like, I I just, I don't know. There were miracles that just happened in my life that I owe it all to my sobriety.
0: Nadine, would you mind plugging in your socials so all of our listeners can follow and support you?
1: So my socials are all pretty much under the handle at the period sober butterfly. You can't forget that period, guys. You got to put the dot. Um
0: Period. Especially on Spotify, you have to put the dot because I messed up earlier. I couldn't find her.
1: Yes. So make sure you're hitting that dot, guys. I also have a YouTube channel. So as you mentioned, Carmen, I love to travel. I was in Paris a couple of weeks ago and I did like a sober in Paris vlog. So I vlog on um, my YouTube channel as well as upload some of my visual podcast episodes on there. So if you're ever looking to put a face for faces to the voices, you can check out my um, handle the sober butterfly on youtube and i also just started started a newsletter which is getting a lot of good feedback so i lo- love to feature different sober people in the community i sober mainly women but like hey hey guys you're out here too so if you want to feature let me know you can be my first male sober spotlight <laughs> in my newsletter And yeah, I just elevate voices, often those who have been marginalized. So I like to feature a lot of like black and people of color also on my, my show, because I think for some reason in this recovery space, there's less of us out here. And I don't think that's because the stats say there's less of us out here. I think it's just like less representation. And so I really want to make sure that I'm as often as possible, able to capture the voices of those who feel like either there's more stigma attached to addiction, but really just highlighting just how amazing life can be optimized without substances. Like you really don't need anything to live your best life. And that's the point of the Sober Butterfly. It's a sober lifestyle resource.
0: For more conversations like these, or to find a support system near you, go to generationsos.org.